morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning, Pod Rishoners. Or good afternoon, good evening, good middle of the night, whenever you're listening to this. Good to have you around here as well. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. Uh, I've been freed up a little bit to pour into this movement that's going on around the world, people catching a vision of the kingdom. And this last week, I was at a, a speaking at a church planners conference. And it was a blast. I met a whole lot of Pod Rishoners. Uh, we got some radical podrishioners out there. It's really cool. And, and these folks are just uh, wanting to turn their houses into churches. Uh, you know, there are various regions around the globe and um, just want to like, feel called to go into ministry. So it was really cool meeting these folks. A high percentage of the folks there were folks that had heard about it through uh, Woodland Hills. Uh, and it's sponsored by this uh, uh, ministry called Ecclesia, a network of kind of radical churches. And it's just, I'm just here to say, Cool things continue to happen out there. Uh, we're part of something way bigger than ourselves, and it's a beautiful thing. One other little piece of info. One of the ways I want to be pouring into this movement is, is through writing. And some of you know that I've been, uh, the last nine years, working on this research writing project about really trying to show how the violent portraits of God in the Old Testament actually point towards, bear witness to the God revealed on the cross, which is no small task. Um, and it was supposed to be a summer project, but it grew to be dying years, uh, like you do. Uh, well, this week, I pressed the send button, and it is off. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. I've had a few people say, if you say one more time that you're almost done, uh, so it, it, it is done, all right. So we're doing this series, uh, Through Line, it's called. A through Line is something that connects... Uh, the storyline, the motifs, ideas that run throughout a, a film or a novel, things like that. And so we're looking at the, the central motifs, the themes that have run throughout Woodland Hills and the moments that have, have kind of defined us, um, the things that tie our story together from the past leading into the present and going into the future. And one of the things that we have always been passionate about is the need for passion. Uh, God calls us to be fully invested in what he's doing, to be passionate, to never settle for mediocrity, middle-of-the-road safety kind of thing, to, to always be living kind of on the edge, and to always be growing, and always be, discipled, be being discipled. And so this is uh, the theme that we want to hit on this morning. We're, we're calling this message the myth of maturity. If you think you have arrived, well, then you have not. All right, the myth of maturity. And I'll start with this. Uh, when I was uh, a kid from the age of, like, 13 to 17, my dad bought this little speedboat, and uh, almost every weekend during the summer, we would go out skiing. Um, and I got pretty good at it, if I do say so myself. Uh, you know, it, it, we would slalom ski, and that's when you use a single ski. And the goal there is to uh, make as sharp as cut as possible. You want to like really just cut and get your shoulder as close to the water as possible when you're cutting and create as big a, what they call a rooster tail as possible. Can you show that picture? See, that's a rooster tail. Man, that was a huge one. And so you want to just cut it as fast as you can. And I got to the point where I could get maybe, you know, 18 inches or so close to the water. Uh, not quite as good as that guy. And rooster tails of 10 to 15 feet, maybe half that size, but I'm exaggerating. But, you know, I was, I was okay. But you know how it goes. Life goes on. And you uh, go to college, uh, no time to ski, and then you get married, and you go to grad school, and then you have kids while you're in grad school, bad idea, and then you have to work three jobs, and there's no time to ski, and there's no money to buy a boat even if you had time to ski, okay? So as life goes on, skiing is one of the things that had to go by the wayside. Uh, fast forward 30 years, I'm at this cabin with some friends and family, and they're skiing. 
or they're trying to ski, I should say. They have two skis, you know, and they're like, you know, and they're feeling really cool if they can go outside the wake. And everyone's having fun, and I'm thinking to myself, gosh, it'd be fun to get back, you know, and, and, and do that again. And if I'm honest with you, I was thinking these people need to have a demonstration of what real skiing looks like. So, <laughs> pride goeth before the fall. <laughs> All right. That's a verse. So I, I, get out, I get out there, and they're impressed that I get up on one ski. Woohoo! Um, I start, you know, gently realizing I have been out of this for about 30 years, so I, I go to make a light cut, and the handle, the stupid handle, rips right out of my hands. It's like, I don't remember the torque being that strong. Uh, what happened? So I get up again, um, and this time I'm concentrating on holding on to that handle, and uh, I make a few modest cuts as I'm getting ready to make my big, you know, 18-inch from the uh, water cut. Uh, but within 30 seconds, my forearms are just burning, burning, and my legs start to shake, and my back is starting to ache. I used to be able to go 15, 20 minutes full blast and, and no problem, and it was fun. This is not fun at all. This is pain, and I'm in at 30 seconds. But I realize that if I'm going to make you know, a big impression here and show what real water skiing is like, I've got to do it now because I'm going downhill very fast. So I muster up everything I've got, and I go as far outside, you know, the wake as you can. That's how you do it. And then you go to, go to make my big cut, my impressive cut. My legs completely give out. The handle rips from my arms. And I do one of these somersaults on top of the water and drink a gallon of water. Uh, it, was, it was not an impressive cut, but it was a very impressive wipeout. It was, it was classic. So much for my, uh, my, my skiing comeback. Uh, next day, I wake up, and I felt like a 98-year-old guy who fell off of a 100-foot cliff and then got hit by a Mack truck. I was in such pain. I, I could hardly get out of bed. I was just like, I never had such full-body pain. Everything hurt. Everything hurt. Uh, see, the thing was is that my body had changed. <laughs> just a little. Uh, but my mind, in terms of what it thought the body could do, had not changed. I, I still thought of myself making those cool cuts. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, in fact, most of you, I'm sure quite all of you who are over 50 have had this experience where uh, you see something fun happening that you used to do, and your mind says, you can do that, and your body says, ha, 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 I'm going to make you pay for it. it. Go to do a cartwheel, and you pull a butt muscle, huh, honey? How about that? <laughs> used to be a chili, there was no problem. <laughs> Spends the rest of vacation limping. Yeah, that's how it goes. The body changes. It's always changing. Do you know that uh, the skin you have on you now is not the skin you had seven years ago? Uh, come on. <laughs> well, it's going to come whether I say it or not. It's, we're shedding skin. When you leave here, you're going to leave some of your skin on, a, on the chair. <laughs> That's, uh, Ushers use Lysol as you wipe off the chairs. No, we're, 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 always, we're, we're always changing. In fact, everything is changing. Everything's always changing. Heraclitus, this great philosopher, one of my favorite ancient Greek philosophers. Uh, in fact, he is my favorite ancient Greek philosopher. 500 BC, he said this. No one, or he's reported to have said this. He actually said it a little different, but this is how Plato reported it. Uh, no one steps in the same river twice. What? Well, see, what he's saying there is that you can, no matter how closely a second person follows another into the river, they're stepping in different water because the water's always flowing. It's always flowing. You can't, you, can't, you can't stop it. And he's saying this is, this is life, all of life. In fact, all of reality, he said, is like this. It has a river quality to it. It's always flowing. It's never quite the same. Everything's like that. And we now know in 20th century science just how true that is. 
I mean, this guy had the insight 500 BC, but it's proven to be very, very true. Everything is something like a river. It's always in flux, this cup. It looks like a real solid cup, the same cup, moment to moment, day to day, month to month. But as a matter of fact, this cup is losing and gaining uh, quantum particles by the millions. It's, 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 it's fuzzy around the edges. We just can't see it because our sensory devices aren't tuned to it. But it's, it's, it's always changing. And it's slowly wearing down and time will totally decay. But everything's like that. We're like that. Not just our bodies, but our brains, our minds, our, our, our ideas, our, our attitudes. They're always in flux. You're a little bit different today than you were tomorrow. Everything's changing. Our relationships are always changing. Uh, the, the, the thing that worked a year ago maybe doesn't work now. And that includes our relationship with God. It's a river, not a pond. It's never stagnant. It's always flowing. In fact, in our relationship with God and our relationship with others, it's, it's always flowing for better or for worse. You're either growing in it or you're decaying in it. Uh, Some of you have heard the second law of thermodynamics, which says that all things tend towards entropy or a state of total equilibrium. Uh, It basically means this. Unless you're pouring energy into something, it's going to wear down. It's going to tend towards chaos. It doesn't take any energy for your room to become messy, but it takes a lot of energy to keep it clean, right? It's that kind of thing. It doesn't take any energy at all for your body to atrophy. It takes a lot to try to keep it in shape. Uh, everything tends to wear down. There is no coasting. Either you're pouring energy into it and growing it or it's dying. And that is true of our relationship with God. It's either growing or it's dying. Think about this. So there's no coasting in this thing. If, if you think that you are mature and have arrived, I've attained to the spiritual zone. And now you can just sort of coast into the sunset having arrived. Well, then for sure you have not arrived. You're actually going downhill. You just don't know it. You see, it just... So here's what Paul says on this. Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection. What he's saying there is, when he uses the term know, uh, the Hebrew concept of know is not just intellectual knowledge, because Paul already had that, of course. He says, I want to know experientially. I want to participate in the power of his resurrection and the power of his sufferings, which is a way of saying, I want to know experientially uh, his his self-sacrificial love and become more like him in that sacrificial love. He says, it's not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal. I'm not there yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Love that. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. Mm. Here's the thing. Paul had a lot of experiences with Christ, probably more than any of us can dream of. He had heard the voice of God several times. The Spirit was always leading him, directing him. Uh, he, he, he met Jesus in person when he uh, converted. Uh, he had visions of different sorts, taken up into the third heaven. It was an you know, out-of-body experience kind of thing. Uh, he had seen God do miracles through him. This guy had a lot of experiences with, 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 with Christ. And yet here he is at this stage of his life saying, I want to know him. I want to know more experientially the power of his resurrection. He wanted more experiences, deeper experiences with, with, with Christ. He wasn't resting on what had happened to him. He was hungry for more. And this guy had sacrificed more for the, the kingdom and had accomplished more for the kingdom than probably any of us 
can dream of. I mean, this guy, he, he had given up, sacrificed his great reputation as a Pharisee. He had, he had uh, embarked on tirelessly planning these new churches throughout the Roman Empire. He'd been arrested several times, attacked by mobs several times, had his life threatened several times, beaten several times, shipwrecked. He, this guy sacrificed a lot. And yet here he is at this stage of his life saying, oh, I want to know more of his, his participating in his sufferings. I want to know more on, on how to have that self-sacrificial love to be poured out towards others. This was not a guy who coasted. He was always hungry for more. His eyes were on the future. He says explicitly, I've not yet arrived. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do. And so he's saying, this is the important thing here. This is what's important. I forget what's behind, and I'm pressing on to the future. I, I'm not resting on any of my laurels from the past. I, the one thing I'm committed to is, is to acquire all that God has for me because he's made me his own. I want it all. I don't want to settle for, for, for what's good when I can attain great. I, I, I want to be used more by him. I want to be transformed more like him. I want to see more of his resurrection power. I want to see more of his, his, his self-sacrificial love demonstrated in me. And then he says, let this be the mindset of all who are mature. If you're mature, you have this mindset, which means if you're mature in Christ, you're, you know you're not yet mature. You know you have not yet arrived. You have not yet obtained what needs to be attained. You know that there's more of him to experience, more of his love to be transformed into, more of his power to be demonstrated through you, and you're hungry for it. You're hungry for it. You strive for that. The one thing that matters, it's not what lies behind, it's what lies ahead. So the question that this forces on me, and it's quite convicting, and I'd like to share with you, uh, because my job is to invite you into my misery, um, and it's just this. Okay, am I, am I passionate for more? Uh, are we hungry for more? Are we pressing in to explore, experience more profoundly his presence, his power, and his self-sacrificial love? Are we pressing in to be used more significantly by him in sacrificing for the kingdom and demonstrating God's character? Or have we kind of plateaued? Uh, are we a little stagnant? Are we more like a pond than a river? Are we stagnant? Are, are, are we kind of stuck? Have you, have you found that there's not much variation in your walk with him? Or maybe you're finding that you've kind of cooled off some. You're on autopilot. This is a word that confronts us with this. I think the, the message that God wants to, to give us individually and collectively within those churches is this. He's saying, do not lose your first love. Do not lose your first love. Do not let that fire die. Do not let the passion wane. Uh, keep your eye on that prize. Stay hungry. Stay passionate. What he's saying to us individually and, and, and collectively, Woodland Hills, is he's saying, I, I, there's more of me. There's more of me to know. There's more of me to experience. There's more of my love to be transformed into. There's more of my spirit to be poured out on you. There's greater things yet to, to see, to reveal, to have accomplished through you. I want to use you in bigger ways, in better ways, more fantastic ways to demonstrate my character to more people. There's more people to be saved, to be one. And I want to use you. Never grow tired. Never go on autopilot. Never settle for mediocre. Never settle for okay, never rest on past laurels. Life is in the future. The river is flowing. It's not a pond. And our job is to flow with it, to pour energy into it, to keep the fires burning, to stay passionate. And to believe God for more and more and more. Praise God. So then the question becomes, the question becomes, how do you do that? How do you stay passionate? How do you stay on fire? How do you keep from getting stagnant? All right. I, I, there's a number of things I could say here, but there's two things that I think are the most important that I'll share here this morning on how to keep the fire alive. Number one, uh, never stop 
giving thanks. I think most people miss this connection. But there is a direct relationship between gratitude and passion. And gratitude and joy and gratitude and being fully alive. Never stop giving thanks. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't fear that motivated Paul to strive for more, to want more. Uh, he wasn't like trying to get saved because he didn't want to go to hell. That's not what motivated him. He tells us what motivated him. He says, I strive to make it my own, to make this prize my own, to make all that God has for me my own. Why? Because he has already made me his own. Paul was secure that he belonged in Christ. In fact, it was the gratitude for that that motivated him. Because he's made me his own, well, I want to know him fully. I want to experience him more profoundly. I want to be used by him completely. He was motivated by gratitude. This is a man who never took Christ for granted, never took salvation for granted, never let it become old news. Now, the good news stayed good. And see, it was his passion and it was the gratitude for the good news that, 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 that kept him hungry, that kept him passionate about moving into the future. The more grateful you are towards something, the more passion you're going to have for it. The old news never became, or the good news never became old news. And so he moved into it and always was hungry for more. Uh, the same is true for us. And see, this is the mindset of a mature person. You, you know the importance of gratitude, and you give thanks for everything. The thing is, is if we're not careful, the good news can become old news, boring news, normal news, ho-hum news. And that's what we must never let it become. I encourage us to open our eyes regularly, make a habit of this, and just consider all that Jesus has done for you and for us. Think about it. Uh, he, as we just saying, God became a human being. Never let that become boring news, normal news. There's nothing normal about it. There's nothing ordinary about it. it. It's incredible. The creator of the universe became a human being and died on a cross to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. Never let that become old news, boring news, normal news. No, that's super fantastic news. That's unfathomable news. That's breathtaking news. That's wonderful news. That's incomprehensible news. And if we keep it fresh and see it and hear it for the, as for the first time and never get used to it, well, see, the gratitude for that gives you a passion for that and gives you a hunger for more of that. This is the, this is the God who, who forgave all of our sins and, and gave us his own righteousness and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Everything he has, he gave to us, and we couldn't deserve it less. And he changed our destiny, gave us eternal life. We were destined for certain destruction, and now we're destined for certain eternal life for the triune God and his love and joy. It couldn't be better news than that. Let it never grow old, never get used to that, never let it be normal, ordinary, boring stuff. No, savor it regularly make it a habit of thought and give God thanks for it and begin and appreciate it and the more you appreciate it the more passion you're going to have for it and the more hunger you're going to have for more of it gratitude is the key to to to, to keeping the fire alive keeping the passion alive regularly apply this and give thanks for all that he has done and it applies to every area of our life every area of our life life in general James says that every act of kindness and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation. Um, every positive thing in our life ultimately has its origin in God. Now, we live in a war zone, so there's a lot of stuff that is not positive. There's a lot of negatives. And all the negatives come from some wills other than God, whether it's humans or fallen angels, or sometimes we just bring about our own negatives. Uh, but it, it, so far as there's anything positive in your life, uh, it comes from God, which means it is a gift, and therefore, it's something that we should be, give thanks for. 
Now, maybe it came through others, so you also give thanks to them. But it is a gift. It didn't have to happen. It did because it originated with God. And so our job is to stay awake to all the positives and to be giving God and others thanks for those things in our life. Have you ever noticed that Paul, in all of his writings, they're filled with thanks? This guy's thinking all the time. I thank God for this. I thank Timothy. I think he's always giving thanks. And he had a lot of negatives in his life. I mean, this guy, as I said, he was beaten a number of times. He was in prison. He was, mobs attacked him. He, he had some kind of physical impairment. He had a lot of negatives in his life. But he gave thanks. In fact, he's writing this letter, the letter to Philippians, he wrote while he is in prison, facing possible execution. And prisons in first century B.C. Palestine were not five-star hotels. Uh, these were nasty places to be. Paul's in this situation facing possible death. But do you know that the letter to the Philippians is the most joyful letter in the whole New Testament? It's, it's beaming with joy and thanksgiving. This is a mature mindset. He knows how to give thanks for every positive thing in his life. He, he has no time to be dwelling on the negatives and complaining about it. Oh, I'm here. It's so unjust. I shouldn't be here. Why did this happen to me? No, he, he didn't. He, he, his mindset was to look at the positive things and to give thanks for those. And that is the key to staying passionate about life and, and, and staying uh, hungry for, for, for the future. And maybe that, that, that you have a lot of negatives in your life. We, we all do to some degree. We take hits. And sometimes those hits can be nasty. And I don't want to in any way water those down. I'm not trying to poo-hoo that. Life can be nightmarishly nasty. There's negatives in this war zone. But I want us to open, I ask God to help us to open our eyes to all the, the innumerable gifts that we have and to develop a habit of giving thanks for those. Every positive thing. Do you have anyone in your life that loves you? Give thanks for that person because there's some people who don't. Do you have a roof over your head? Give thanks. Do you have food on the table? Give thanks because some people don't have that stuff. Uh, you know, do, do you have eyes that see? Uh, do you have a mouth that can talk? Give thanks. That, that, that's a gift from God. Do you got a leg that works? How about an arm? Give thanks. Uh, that, that is a gift from God. Every positive thing. Did you wake up this morning alive? I'm thinking you probably did. Well, 40,000 people didn't. Give thanks. Okay? That you, you're breathing another breath. You got lungs that can breathe there. Give thanks for that. You got a brain that can think at all. Give thanks for that. Uh, you got anything in your environment that's beautiful? To give thanks for that. Anything that's positive? Give thanks for that. Don't take anything for granted. Don't let it ever just become normal. Because that's when, that, that's when it, you lose your passion for it. It becomes whole hump. It becomes boring. It's just, bleh. No, the, the key to staying alive and staying passionate and staying vibrant and staying hungry is to give thanks for every positive thing that has come your way. Amen? Amen. And to make that, to make that a habit, it, it, whatever you do becomes habitual. And we get good at it. The, the more you do anything, the better you get at it. And you can very easily become good at being a complainer that notices the negative. And, and, and feel sorry for yourself. And I'm not trying to minimize the negative things. Somebody's out there saying, well, yeah, but you don't know. Well, I grant that it's bad, but see, if you dwell in that and, and, and give voice to that, the more you complain, the more you'll notice the negative things to complain about. And the better you'll get at complaining. And now you're a grumbler and no one wants to hang out with you. But the opposite is also true. The more we, we give thanks for the positive things, the more positive things we notice to give thanks for, and you get good at that. You become, like Paul, a grateful person, and that is the, the, the sign of a mature Christian mind. The more you're grateful for it, the more joy you're going to have, the more passion you're going to have, the more fully alive you're going to be, and the hungrier you'll stay for life. So get, never stop giving thanks. It's a key to always staying in the game passionately. Secondly, 
Be open to embracing. In fact, seek out embracing new challenges. It is said that the, the youth, youth grab hold of the future. Uh, those in middle age hang on to the present. And those, as you get older, you just try to hang on to the past. Uh, youth are hungry for the future. Middle age try to protect what you've got. And the old just try to hang on because uh, they know they're going to lose it. And I think it's a pretty accurate description of the way I think most people are. But it certainly doesn't describe the Apostle Paul, does it? Here this guy is. Okay, He's getting up in years. He's accomplished a lot. He's sacrificed a lot. He's suffered a lot. Now he's in prison. I mean, it would be really understandable, wouldn't it? If, if here he is in prison facing possible execution, for him to be think, oh, remember the good old days. And just sort of savor the past and, you know, all the times that you've had and experiences that you've had. And, and maybe think, gosh, if I get out of here alive, I think I'll retire. <laughs> uh, or at least back off a little bit. Uh, that'd be understandable, wouldn't it? But that's not his attitude. And he says, this is the, to be the attitude of all who are mature. Uh, this guy, in this situation, it's really remarkable, in this prison, facing possible execution, despite all that he's accomplished and suffered, whatever, he is hungry for the future. He's looking to the future. He's optimistic about the future. He wants more, to experience more deeply what God has for him and to be used more profoundly. That is the mindset of a, a, a mature disciple. It's the same for us, folks. Life is a river. It's not a pond. It's never to be stagnant. Uh, it's always changing. It's always new. In fact, this is true of all reality. It's true of all life. This moment right now has never been before and never will be again. It's altogether new. Oh, there it went. And now this moment is altogether new. It's never been before. It never will be again. There it goes. It's, life is, reality always is, is, is occurring in the new. It's always changing. So to be alive, to be alive is to be in that new, to be embracing that new. The river is flowing. And, and to be fully alive means you're flowing with it and you're pouring into it. You're embracing the new. Whatever age you are, I don't care if you're 98 and whatever you've accomplished, I don't care if, if you've planted 10,000 churches, whatever experiences you've had, I don't care if you've been to the 7th or 3rd or 24th heaven. I, whatever, it doesn't matter. What matters is not the past, Paul says, but what more God has for you, what more there is to embrace, what new challenges you can embark on, new ways he wants to use you. Always stay hungry for the future. So if you're, you see, the minute we, the minute we stop embracing the new, we start to die. In fact, the difference between a corpse and a living person is that the corpse can't embrace anything new. <laughs> uh, it's all, to be alive means you're living new moments, moment by moment. So if your relationship with God has plateaued, you're stagnant, it's kind of gotten boring, you're on autopilot, that simply is an indication that it's time to sh shake things up a little bit. It's time to change. It's time to do something new. Uh, you know, the river has moved on, and so what worked in the past isn't working in the present. There's new wineskin that wants to be poured out, or new wine that wants to be poured out, and, and you need some new wineskin. If you're finding yourself stagnant, kind of just going on autopilot, well, it just means that it's time to change things up. Routines are good if they're giving life. If you've got a life-giving routine, wonderful. Keep on doing that routine day after day. But if it dries up, and you're always changing, so it just might, it's time to get a new routine. And so I encourage you to explore new things, new ways of relating to God. Search out God's heart. Ask God. Search out your own heart. Talk to other kingdom people. Are there other ways of relating to God? Other ways of praying? Other ways of worshiping? Uh, you know, what do other people do to jumpstart their spiritual life? What are some uh, ancient spiritual disciplines you might get involved in? You know, maybe, maybe you want to change your prayer up a little bit instead of just being on your knees, which is wonderful if it's working, but if, it, if it's kind of boring now, why, why don't you pray while you're walking around the block and, 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 and bless people all along the way? 
Uh, maybe you want to go on a retreat. You've never done it before. Or a silent retreat. Try that sometimes. It's very difficult. Uh, but it, 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 might, it might be the thing that kind of jumpstarts you to give a new, a, a new angle, a, a new avenue of way of experiencing God. Or maybe you want to try centering prayers uh, or, or meditation styles or new ways of worship. Maybe you actually want to try lifting your hands once in a while. See what happens if you do that. Maybe that will be the thing that will open up a new dimension uh, in your relationship with God. Uh, new books to read, new devotionals to get involved in, new conferences to attend. Uh, what, would, what would happen? What would happen if you really took seriously this, this call to be a blessing machine and bless people all the time? You really got serious about that. You might find that the Spirit is all over that, and man, that takes you up to a new level. Amen? Uh, uh, or, or what would happen if you became really serious about listening to the promptings of the Spirit in your heart and started to act on those things? That might be the thing that just jettisons you to a whole new level. Keep it new. Embrace new challenges. Be open to that. Be pursuing of that. And this applies to us as a church, folks. Will and Hills. I thank God for all that went on in the past. Praise God. But we ain't arrived yet. <laughs> We have not yet obtained it. Uh, we are a river. We're on the way. This is not the time to coast. This is not the time to look behind us. This is the time to look in the future. Well, uh, if, if we're a river, so if we're listening to the Spirit, He's going to be leading us into newness, uh, and, and into different ways of looking at things, doing things. Uh, just because you've always done it one way doesn't mean you always have to do it that way. In fact, because it's a river, it means you can't just keep on doing the same thing. It's, it's at some point going to start to lose life. The Spirit is always blowing fresh wind, and, and our job is to be discerning that. Just because we've always worshipped a certain way doesn't mean we have to worship the exact same way. Just because we worship that style means doesn't mean we have to always have to keep that style. Just because we worship with that volume doesn't mean we always have to keep that volume. Just because we have not used much art in our worship doesn't mean we can't start using more art in our worship. Amen? Uh, you know... Just because we looked a certain way doesn't mean we always have to look a certain way. Uh, the, the river is flowing, and so our job is to be embracing it. Just because we've always done these ministries but not those ministries doesn't mean we can't start doing those ministries. And folks, my, my sense is if, if we are willing, if we stay hungry and are willing to uh, share more in his sufferings, his self-sacrificial love, God has great, 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 great plans in store for Woodland Hills Church. Uh, his word is he, he has more that he wants us to do, more that he wants us to accomplish. He wants us to be manifesting the, his, his character more to people, caring for the lost, caring for the homeless, caring for the hungry, putting on display his glory, winning people to him by his sheer beauty that, that gets displayed. He wants to grow us in our capacity to manifest the one new humanity uh, in which the, that Jesus Christ uh, created on the cross. That one new humanity that has, needs, knows neither male nor female or Jew or Gentile or black or white or Hispanic or Latino or Indian, you name it. No, it's all one in Christ. And he wants us to grow in our capacity to put that on display and, and to serve this rising movement that's going on around the world to become a more significant hub and resource uh, uh, th th those house churches. Folks, there's some great things in store for us if we are willing to stay hungry and willing to sacrifice and flow in this river. That he's bringing us, us, us in. Amen? Just, yeah, just because you never said amen before doesn't mean you can't start doing it now. Amen? Amen. And this also applies to all of our life. Uh, every year of our life. Your life is a river, and to be fully alive means you're moving forward in that, embracing the new. The minute you stop accepting new challenges is the minute you start to die. And this especially applies to folks as you're getting older. Um, but young folks, listen up, because it will apply to some degree to you, and remember it in 20 years. Here's the thing. The easy thing is to get used to life and to just, you know, just kind of get bored with the whole thing and to stop seeking out the new. But folks, it's a river, and so we always got to be embracing new challenges. I, I encourage, maybe this is the time to learn a new language. 
Do you, do you know this? See, we are created, we're hardwired to, to embrace new challenges. The main reason why the brain atrophies, other than genetic diseases, the main reason is because people stop getting interested in life. You stop using your neurons. The world's no longer stimulating. You've seen a thousand sunrises and you've seen the, the, the stars 10,000 times. You're not impressed anymore. It's gotten old. It's like the good news can become boring news. Life can become boring. And so you, we stop being stimulated by it. We stop being curious. We stop exploring. And, and when we do that, well, you either use it or lose it. And so the brain says, I guess I don't need those cells anymore. Psh, well, I guess I don't need those neural nets anymore. And you, you start losing neural nets. It is atrophies. We die of boredom, folks. So... Don't get bored. Stay alive. There's new challenges. We're wired for this. You know, there's good studies that show that people who retire without a purpose, a plan, and a mission, they tend to die significantly before those who retire without anything to do. You're not made to do nothing. Never retire in the sense of doing nothing. You'll have plenty of time to enter your Sabbath rest after you're dead. Until then, do something. There's something to do. There's something new. There's something to embrace. A new ministry to get involved in. And so maybe it's time to learn a new language. They say one of the best things you can do when you turn 50 is learn a new language. That language you've always been interested in. Why don't you learn it? Try it. Go at it. Uh, maybe it's time to uh, you know, pick up the poetry that you, when you were younger, wrote so well, but you kind of let it go. Maybe this is the time to pour yourself into that. Or that hobby that you've always tinkered with. Maybe it's the time to take it to a new level. Uh, you know, or or uh, that trip you've always wanted to take. Maybe it's time to go for that. Or maybe, what if, what if, you know, you've been suffering in this career for 20 years that you hate and you always wish you would have done that. Well, why not do it now? You know, more people are going back to school when they're 50, 60, and 70 and getting a new career and learning new stuff just because they're interested. It's brilliant. Keep it alive. Keep it awake. Keep it new. Spice it up. You say, well, that, you know, that's not very financially wise. Screw that. Who cares? <laughs> when you were younger, you didn't think that way. Really. Sometimes you got to walk the plank. Step out. Be a risk taker. You feel fully alive. New endeavors, man. New endeavors. Be thinking about it. And couples, new endeavors, new things. Just because you always did it one way doesn't mean you always have to do it that way. Just because you always dance that way doesn't mean you can't dance a different way. You know, try new things. And friends, couples, yeah, explore new things. Ways of relating. Little things can, can really add some spice. Shelly and I, we never played board games until this year. We started playing board games. Like, well, let's just try this. Got Quirkle. What a cool game. It's a, it's a, and those are brain-stimulating games, too. So that's good. Neural nets, huh? not losing them. Uh, or playing chess. Isn't it fun? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a blast. Yes, honey, it is fun. Say it. So <laughs> keep, it, keep, you know, keep it fresh. New endeavors. Ask God to reveal to you or search your own heart. What, what, what new thing does he want you to be involved in? Um, and pour yourself into it. You know, when I was a kid, uh, from 9 to 20, uh, the most important thing in my life was drums. I, I thought I'd be a drummer. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I was on that track. Uh, I, was playing at, for the, I was playing jazz fusion uh, for the U of M Jazz Ensemble, uh, University of Minnesota. And uh, I was enjoying that. Now God comes along and screwed the whole thing up, messed my whole life up, thank you very much. Pulled me in no un, un, uncertain terms, you know, into the course I'm, I'm now in. And I'm really glad he did. But that, that, that drums is one of the things that kind of had to go by the wayside. I had to sell our, my drum set to pay for rent uh, in grad school. Uh, and whenever I could get around drums, I'd play them in, over the next 30 years or so. But, uh, you know, pretty much it was just kind of gone. Now, about 10, 11, 12 years ago, I, the small group of friends that I do life with, all the guys realized that we used to play in bands. And so we thought, you know, here's a healthy way to have a midlife crisis. Let's, let's pick up our instruments again and start jamming like kids in the basement. So we did. Born to be wild. Um, 
And, and uh, one thing led to another. We got a little repertoire of songs. We, we, played at, we were asked to play at a wedding. And somebody who owned a club was there and said, hey, would you play at the club? And that opened up this door where we, we now, reg, kind of regularly, play gigs and raise money for kids in Haiti. All the money goes to them. And we have a whole lot of fun. It's been a real endeavor. Yeah, we're called Not Dead Yet. This is a real appropriate name. Not Dead Yet. From uh, the Holy Grail. Remember that? I'm not dead yet. I'm happy. Not dead yet. Uh, in fact, we're going to be playing at the dugout on December 4th, if you want to just check that out. It's a fun time. Put it on your calendar. So here's the thing. For, up until very recently, my whole goal in being in this band was to try to recover something from the past. I was looking at the past. I was like, oh, I, it, it gives much of that 20-year-old drumming as, as I could get up now. Uh, and it, because I don't practice that much, you know, there's only so much you can do. But then one day, about a year and a half ago, I discovered speed metal. And I was blown away by it. The, 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 the drumming is like nothing I'd ever heard before. Like these drummers can do a single stroke roll with one hand. Uh, that, that's like this. They, they can go with one hand. I was like, how do they do that? And their feet. Like I'm always used to you know, the bass drum is to, to basically keep the beat and then do kicks here and there. Boom, 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 boom. These guys are going with their feet. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. And so I was just blown away by it. Like how do they do that? And then I started to like the music. Um, now, this is not that demonic screech voice metal where they're like, I got your rotten mother, got your corpses. <laughs> I, I'm not into that. <laughs> Though, obviously, I could do it well if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Arr. Arr, you should call it pirate music. Anyways. No, it's not that. It, it's melodic. It's symphonic. It's epic. It's, it's, it's majestic. But man, the drums are just... So I'm, 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 I'm every day uh, almost uh, watching this and listening to it and, and just admiring it. And then at some point, it, finally, it hit, hit me. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, whenever I saw a drummer do something I couldn't do, I tried to do it. I, and I would go downstairs and I'd practice it and practice it and practice it. And more often than that, I, I eventually was, was able to do it. So I asked myself, what happened to that guy? He used to be hungry. And press on for more. I want to learn more. What happened to him? I'm just admiring these guys. Why aren't I trying to actually do what they do? So <laughs> I, uh, I, I committed myself to learning how to do this. Single stroke roll with one hand and double bass. Got, watched a couple of videos. I committed to about 20, 30 minutes a day. That's about all the time I can afford on average. Sometimes I go longer, shorter. But, but uh, I want to regularly be practicing this because I want to do this. And uh, part, yeah, part of my brain, yeah, don't clap yet. It might uh, bite, all right? But see, part of my brain is thinking, well, Greg, uh, you know, 58-year-old theologian pastors don't listen to speed metal, let alone play speed metal. I thought to myself, well, then it's about time. Or another part of my brain said, hey, don't you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So the other part of my brain said, yeah, but I'm not a dog. <laughs> so, anyway, so here's the thing. For the first six, six to eight weeks, it was torture. I almost quit a couple times. The single stroke roll stuff, you gotta, you gotta balance it. You have to hold your stick in a certain way and balance it. And it was so hard to get. It was like, oh, I lose my salvation. I get so frustrated. And, and the foot pedal stuff is, is like, you have to come down on your heel and then go up on your toe. To get it that fast, you gotta go heel, toe. 
heel toe, heel toe, heel toe. I've always just come down on my toes. So to tell my leg to come put the heel up when you come down, it's like learning drums all over again. It was so frustrating. I'd go two beats in a row and then mess it up, or four beats in a row and then mess it up. Plus, it kills your shins. Try to, try to lift your foot, the front of your foot off the ground as high as you can while keeping the heel on the ground. Do that five times. Go around. Your shin is going to start to burn. Well, in speed metal, you got to do that 190 times at least per minute for the whole song. <laughs> it, it, man, the shin, the, my, I got... I, I got some good shin muscles, let me tell you. I, I've been working those babies out. So, so uh, at, at first, I, I could do like, uh, uh, I, I, about eight weeks, I started to turn the corner, and I could start to get a little, little, little beat going, you know. And I, I, I have a metronome, and I, I put it on a, like a timing thing. And I remember the first time I got to, I could do 120. I was like, oh, look at it. <laughs> don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. And eventually I'd screw up. But um, I, 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 when I got to the point where I could do that for a minute, uh, then I, I would start to uh, move towards 130. And then when I got that, I, uh, for a minute, I, I start to move up to 140, and then 150, and then 160, and then 170, and then 180, and now I'm working on a 190. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So it, it, it's kind of like this. It, pay attention to the feet. That's the main thing. And at the end of this, I'll throw in a little single stroke roll with the one hand, if I can do it. We'll see how, what happens here. But, and then I learned how to do some beats, like, like this. tricks you got to be learning uh, just to keep the brain from atrophying. You know, it feels so good. You, we're wired for this. I'll never do anything with this. I'm not going to play in some speed metal band. It just makes for a nice sermon illustration once in a while. But <laughs> it's a good workout. But it, the point is that yeah, I did it because I can. You know, I, I, it, it feels so good to be able to do something I couldn't do when I was 20. I feel like I'm looking back at that 20-year-old brat and saying, ha, 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 you, 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 you can do anything like that. You never dreamed of doing something like that. There you go. So life's in the future. The river is flowing. Never be stagnant. You're not a pond. And there's always newness. There's always new endeavors. I encourage us, keep your eyes open to every positive thing in your life and make a habit of giving thanks for it, especially all that God has done for us. Never let the good news become old and boring news. 
And then look at the new endeavors. There's always new challenges. Get involved in new ministry. Learn a new dance. Listen to new music. Read new genre of literature. Whatever it is to stay in the game, to keep alive, life is in the present, in the new, flowing forward. The minute we stop doing that, the minute we start coasting, we start to die. God wants us to be fully alive. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Would you rise? I want to... Yes, I want to call forth the prayer team. Uh, they'll be up here by the stairs. And if you have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, come up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you want to find out what it is to be a follower of Jesus, come up here and tell these folks, and, and they'll get you started on the kingdom walk. As we leave this place all sweaty and tired, I pray we do as a people committed to passion, never settle for mediocrity. I pray that we do with our eyes wide open, giving gratitude. I pray we do it embracing new endeavors whenever they come our way and even seeking them out. In Jesus' name, let the river flow. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.